Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Basketball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Okay, everybody, welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. It is Thursday, it is March 7th, and we've got a very important show for you. You know, steals are scarce, right? You hear that all the time. You gotta get speed. But is it true? We're gonna investigate that. It's a little fantasy myth. I don't know, I'm not saying it is, but there's a case to be made. About steals not being so scarce this year. Uh, most importantly, if you missed any of the position previews or you just want a little bit of a refresher, we're going to recap every single position for you with kind of uh, where the best draft value is, what your strategy should be, and those types of things. And uh, fellas, it's been a little bit of a, a long time since our friends Warren G and Nate Dog joined us. So I, I screwed up the oh. order there. Isn't it Nate Dog and Warren G? Screw up the billing. But uh, we will have. No the one thought you were on. cool before that. So it's okay. <laughs> I'm a little yes. worried about Heath grunting. Oh, that Heath, that that's what you're worried about. I just don't know if it sets the right, right example. Nathan okay. Dog is going to be joining us on today's show to regulate. You heard from Heath and Chris. Here's Scott White. What's up, Scott? Adam, how Scott? are you? I am very excited for today's show, and I, and I'll tell you why. I don't think that steals are. All that scarce. There, I said it. Okay, Adam. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'd like to hear this argument. I think what we kind of... eager to make it. Yeah, well, we kind of talked about it in the outfield preview, right? Uh, there's just a lot of guys that are going in the round 9 range, 9, 10, 11, 12, that can get you at least 20 steals, and some of them have 40, 50 steal upside, like D. Gordon, like Malik Smith, like Billy Hamilton. And... Hamilton of those three. That is, a, that is a, yeah. That is a small section of the draft, though. What you're talking about. Right, but it, but you don't have to, but, but, like, it's round nine. It's not like you have to draft these guys in round five, like where you used to have to draft D. Gordon and Billy Hamilton. Also, 28 players stole 20 or more bases in 2018. Um, I eliminated five of them. I think they were pretty useless last year. Delano DeShields, Greg Allen, Rajay Davis, Travis Jankowski, Michael Taylor. So that left us with 23 others. Of those 23, eight of them are available after pick 96. And then I think there are 10 more that didn't steal 20 bases last year, but easily could this year. Um, and 10 more that are, that would be available after pick 96. Guys like Will Myers, AJ Pollock, Victor Robles, Elvis Andrews, stuff like that. So what, Scott, what do you think? Are steals scarce? Oh, yeah. I, I think they're, they're very scarce. I mean, 23 who, Stole 20. It's a pretty modest sum and not the most 28. trustworthy sum for a lot of those players. Well, yeah, but yeah, you eliminated right. five that are pretty much useless. So right, I right. think that was fair to do. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you have to be very intentional about it is the main thing because a lot of those 20 plus steals guys go in the first couple rounds and you may not get any of them just because of the way the draft lines up. And there's what, what's really, um, what really makes it clear how scarce it is is the number of players who you could trust to give you a big chunk in the category, which pretty much count on one hand. Maybe have to go to the second, barely. But uh, if you know, I the the thing about relying on a bunch of twenty steel guys is when the when the the, the ceiling is that low, um, 
you know, it doesn't take much for them to become close to useless in the category. So it's not something I like to rely on. And plus, it means you have to grab more of them. It really handcuffs you in terms of where you can go with every pick of the draft. So I would prefer to get at least one uh, one guy who I think is you can more reliably trust for a big steals total. And if you can get a second, then you're probably set at the category. But it, you have to be intentional about it. I, I don't want to play devil's advocate here. Well, yes, I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but is this... Have you, you been okay? replaced by someone? <laughs> but I will say that it's difficult for any category to actually be scarce. Because if fewer steals exist, then fewer steals will exist in the standing, so you don't need as many steals. Everything's relative. If I had to have as many steals as I had to have home runs, then steals would be very scarce. Well, that's the well, steals are rel- scarce relative to other categories. They're not scarce relative to themselves. However, if steals, I think the point is that there are fewer guys who get steals. But the total number of steals, I don't think around baseball has changed all that much. It's just the distribution is different. So, you know, we. I think the problem is when it's a guy like Billy Hamilton or if it's a guy like D. Gordon. What we saw last year was when the skill set collapses and it's a really thin line with guys like that, uh, you can be in big trouble because... If D. Gordon's a 60-steal guy and he's scoring 90 to 100 runs and he's hitting 290, that's a really valuable player. If he steals 38 bases, which would be, I, I think that's around what he had last year, that would be top five in baseball probably. And but he hit 260 and walked eight times and scored 60 runs, and all of a sudden, that's a one-category player who... Helps you in that one category, but doesn't carry you. And and that's the thing is if we're relying on guys to carry us in categories and they don't have other skills that can carry them, it gets really dicey. And steals are down, like as, as a league as well. I mean, it, last year was the lowest number in the last 10 years. It was 800 fewer stolen bases than 2011, 300 fewer than 2014. But yeah, I actually so, think that I, helps, have, though. I disappear a little. I do want to address the point of... um you know, be fewer fewer steals being out there means fewer you need, which is true. But part of what I mean by scarcity, and Chris touched on this a little, is it, it's kind of like it's kind of like saves, right? There are ju- there are there's just a, such a narrow number of players who are really any help at all that it's if you're not intentional about it, you could get left out very easily, and there's not really going to be much recourse when that happens because all of those players have been gobbled up and. Uh, and just hopeless in the category. So that's that's kind of what scarcity means beyond just there are fewer of them. Some guys who didn't steal 20 bases last year that certainly could this year, Jose Altuve, Ronald Acuna, maybe Tommy Pham. He's going in round seven. I don't know about David Dahl. I know he's got it in his, his track record, but not so much in the majors, but he's going in round nine. A.J. Pollock, round 10. Will Myers, round 10. Victor Robles, round 10. Elvis Andrews, Cesar Hernandez, Byron Buxton, maybe Nick Senzel, and then late Delano DeShields and Greg Allen, practically free right now in drafts. And DeShields and Allen, I had them in the useless uh, category if, you know, of the 28 players uh, that I said had stolen 20 or more bases last year. Five were useless, and I had DeShields and Allen. I think DeShields in particular has a chance to be useful this year. I don't think he's a bad late-round flyer. Um, oh, side note. We have an auction tomorrow 
that we're doing on the air, most likely. So we'll have a podcast for you a little bit later in the day on Friday, but it's going to be our auction, about an hour of it. And uh, we'll see if maybe Delano to Shield is like a dollar, or maybe he's a reserve round pick, more likely. But um, are we gonna? If we're only doing an hour, we're not gonna find that out. Yeah, that's are true. we gonna draw straws to see which one of us gets to nominate Adalberto Mondesi first, just to drive <laughs> Scott crazy? <laughs> I'm sure Scott would like. So, like Scott would probably want Trey Turner off the board to see his price before Adalberto Mondesi gets nominated. So we can't let that happen. Modesty has to okay. first. Do I still want Trey Turner out there so that everybody's thinking, I can get Trey Turner. Mm. I don't have to go heavy after Adelbert. I, I feel like the auction podcast has to be Scott's most frustrating podcast. Oh, he hates year. it. He might not be you on get it. So, <laughs> you get so out of sort just doing auctions. Like, whenever you got, you were doing an auction last week, right? Uh, the, yeah. the NL only. And I wasn't right. in that, but I could hear you just like, muttering to yourself oh, Scott, every yes. single time. It's fantastic. Every day. Scott spends a lot of time coming up with a very good plan, and two or three years ago I noticed this and started doing the same thing. The only difference is my plan is usually how can I frustrate Scott during the auction. <laughs> <laughs> and you actually get to stick to your plan Sounds about right. throughout, the, throughout the draft. Uh, la- okay, so I, I think for me, maybe the reason why I feel better about steals is because I am high on D. Gordon. And when you talk about D. Gordon and Billy Hamilton in particular, you are getting them at such discounts this year. And I just feel like D. Gordon, he, he, he broke his toe. And before he broke his toe, he was batting 304 with 16 steals in 45 games. So that was I, mostly I, him. I, I don't think, he, you know, maybe he won't bat 304, whatever. But, but as long as he can get up to the top of the lineup, which I think he can do, because I think he's one of their better hitters, I'm optimistic about D. Gordon in the way that Scott makes Mondesi such a big priority for him, I might do that with D. Gordon. The The counterpoint to that would be that it was a relatively minor injury that he was able to play through, and some other guys can play through minor injuries and not have it completely destroy their skill set. But a 30, I think he might be, he's 30 or 31. I think 31. Year old D. Gordon. That's not that old. It's old for a player of his skill set. That's the thing. Believe me, Chris just turned 30 and his body completely fell apart. I was in New York for five days. We walked around. <laughs> I'm still recovering. So trust me yeah. when I say this. No, uh, players with D. Gordon's skill set, because he really doesn't have very much to fall back on. So much of his game is predicated on speed that even if he's 93% as fast as he used to be, that's the kind of thing where... The, the the margin for error is extremely slim. Oh, and I don't know. I a mean, sprained ankle can ruin him for a month. 101st overall, even if he... I'm not going to make him my only steal source, but I feel like uh, even if he's a bust, like, you know, I could be... I could finish middle of the pack in steals, and it's just it's just late enough where I don't care. But okay, I think we've said our piece. Scott, Scott uh, kind of mentioned his steal strategy. I don't know if Chris and Heath, you actually laid out what you plan on doing in terms of steals, if you'd like to wrap it up with that. I want a good player in the first five or six rounds that also steals bases. And then I can find the rest of the steals later. I usually have a a guy I expect to steal 40 bases. If it's Trey Turner in the middle of the first round, or if it's, you know, I don't think I've taken Adalberto Mondesi, but there there are a handful of guys. I want at least one of them. So, yeah, I mean, if it, if it turns out I get Trout, Betts, uh... Ramirez, Altuve, Trey Turner in the first round. That's great. That's a nice. I got no. I got one guy, I know of. But in in that case, or even without, I I love to get out of Bertomon to see that is my primary steals target this year. If it's late in round three or somewhere in round four, I 
that's my number one priority. And if I miss out on him, I love Billy Hamilton this year because it's I got him in round 13 in Tout Wars, a 15-team league. Round 13, this is a guy who, because of what he does in steals, we he had been going in like round four of rotisserie leagues prior to this year, which was crazy. But by round 13, you've obviously built up a nice uh, buffer in all the other hitting categories. You don't have to worry about him hurting you so much there. And he should carry even the category. On the born-to-run Royals, he should get back to 50 steals, I think, pretty easily. All right, last question then. I'm going to give you three ADPs, and you tell me which one is the best option if you missed out on steals in the earlier rounds. D. Gordon, 101st overall. Malik Smith, 113th overall. Billy Hamilton, 170th overall. 169. It's hard to argue against the the Billy Hamilton value at that point. I mean, there's a chance D. Gordon and Malik Smith also help you in batting average, so they're they're not going to sink you in every category. But that that price tag of Billy Hamilton for what he's going to provide in steals just seems... It's great. It's a great price tag. I think Malik Smith probably has the highest overall ceiling. He has the chance to be, of these three guys, an actual three-category contributor, and that's... I think unrealistic for, I think it's probably impossible for Billy Hamilton. And I think it's probably unrealistic for D Gordon at this point. Um, I'm a little wary of Malik Smith. Um, I think he had a lot go right, but the fact that he's opening the season as the first, uh, as the lead-off. primary leadoff hitter for the Mariners and D Gordon's probably going to bat ninth. That alone should make Malik Smith more valuable than D Gordon to start with. And he's going around later. I really feel like D Gordon. I feel like they could bat first and second in the order at some point, but I think Mitch Haniger is pretty much locked into the second. Well, then D Gordon. I... D Gordon can bat third. Oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, wait, I, there I, is. Yeah, well, let me let me get let me. Uh, we got to get to the position preview recaps. Let me get your thoughts on Victor Robles, 125th overall. How does he factor in with that group? Man, he could be better than all of them, and I'm a little bit concerned he's not going to run as aggressively in the majors as he did in the minors. It's a rich price. I. I could see him being Trey Turner good. Like, as as a prospect, there's not a big difference in the pedigree. Um, Robles, the track record in the minors is a little thin just because he keeps getting hurt. But if he stays healthy, I think there's a ton of upside. There's a chance we're talking about him as a third or fourth round pick this time next year. He went. This this was one of the craziest pick in Tout Wars Tuesday night, the 15-team roto draft. He went in round three, <laughs> Robles did. Wow, now, there's a lot of upside there. I mean, uh, there's a good chance he contributes apart from steals, but steals is the main thing he's going to contribute, and it, he's your primary source of steals because of what he what he said. It's not clear how much he's going to run in the majors. Uh, that's a problem, and you certainly don't want to draft him that early. Okay, everybody, if you missed our position previews, go back and listen to them. But some of the information will, of course, be outdated, like don't draft Salvador Perez. But uh, we're going to recap each position. Going to give the guys a couple minutes to talk it out. Heath, I want your thoughts on catcher. Let's start with that. The uh, keeping it Real Muto strategy from Heath Cummings. And you're welcome for the team name, this everybody. This position is awful. <laughs> it's absolutely dreadful. And you do not want to get caught at the end of the draft settling for someone like Wellington Castillo or Francisco Cervelli. So my main approach here is I just took JT Realmoto in a draft in the fourth round. If he's there in the fourth, I'm pretty much taking him regardless of format. I could see taking him in the third in a two-catcher league. If you miss out on Realmoto, 
Thankfully, I don't think Gary Sanchez is going to be that much worse, and there's upside to where he could be better. I'm fine with taking Gary Sanchez late fourth, early fifth round. There are still four more catchers I feel really good about, and five if you include Yadi Molina. But if you can get Buster Posey, Yasmani Grandal, Wilson Contreras, those guys, Wilson Ramos, those guys often fall into the double-digit rounds. If I see them at that range of the draft, I'm jumping on it. Because after that, it's an absolute wasteland. You can get Danny Jansen around round 14 or 15. That's great. Or settle for upside with someone like Francisco Mejia, who may not play every day, or Jorge Alfaro. I want a good catcher. How do you feel about Wellington Castillo? Do you think he's the kind of guy, if you're the last person in your league to take a catcher in a one-catcher league, that he'll probably finish around 12th or something like that? He could be fine. The problem is, like, Wellington Castillo probably will finish around 12th as long as he doesn't suffer a major injury. But as you've talked about with starting pitcher, if you finish 12th at catcher and you played all year, you're really bad. (laughs) All right, Scott, let's talk about first base. What are we doing at first base? So first base is surprisingly one of the thinnest positions this year, and uh, that makes it one I absolutely want to target early. You don't want to wind up being the guy who's banking on a Miguel Cabrera bounce back because you didn't wait. You you waited until late to fill it, which could very likely happen in a 12-team league given the number of multi-eligible players at the position. So, uh, you know, if if it's Paul Goldschmidt in round two, the value makes sense there, fine. If it's Anthony Rizzo in round three, fine. The fallbacks, in my mind, are Joey Votto, who tends to slide in a lot of drafts coming off a down year, and Jose Abreu also coming off a down year. Uh, but I still like the skill sets of both. I still think they're going to be pretty much who we've always known them to be. It, I, I really don't want to have to settle for a first baseman beyond that because it's it's uh, you're 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 missing a lot of impact at that position. Jose Abreu uh, at but, 79th you know, overall, I, <laughs> that is something. Yeah. Yeah. And Scott, yeah, I think, I think we it's should... worth noting. Yeah, go ahead. It's worth noting Jose Abreu is a much better fallback in a roto league since he's typically a batting average standout but doesn't walk a lot than he is in a points league. Um, you know, if I wanted a late round target at first base and I wouldn't want to do this to fill first base, but maybe utility spot corner infield, Luke Voigt is the guy I'd like his upside at Yankee Stadium. But it's, it'd be helpful if you were drafting later and knew how the Yankees first base competition is shaping out because... Greg Bird's getting some uh, good reviews this spring. And if you are drafting in a points league and you totally whiff on first base, just know that Carlos Santana was 16th in Roto and 5th in points last year. So he is a points league stud. And also, it is a thin position. It will get better pretty quickly when Reese Hoskins and Daniel Murphy gain eligibility by by their 5th appearance, which should be very early in the season. Chris, second base, what do you think? Yeah, you're probably not going to want to use Daniel Murphy as your first baseman because second base is pretty gross. Um, among real positions, and we're not counting catcher in that discussion, I think it's definitely the thinnest. Um, among the early round guys, you know, we lo- we all like Jose Altuve. I think we all think he's probably being underdrafted as the 13th overall player in ADP. After that, we don't like Javi Baez at his cost. Whit Merrifield we love. And then you get into, like, Ozzy Albies, Glaber Torres, I think they're both being overdrafted as fifth rounders. Like, you start to see reaches at that point in the draft. So if it's second base and you don't get Altuve, Baez, or Merrifield, I think you're probably better off waiting, avoiding the middle class and getting 
a Travis Shaw in the eighth or ninth round or a Scooter Jeanette in that same round, unless you're drafting with Scott, and then you probably have to take him in the sixth round. Uh, Robinson Cano's 115th overall. We didn't really see any decline in his skill set last year. Um, so I think he's fine there. If you wait at second base, you can be fine because I think 120 or later, there's a ton of great values there. Uh, just don't reach for, I think, the second tier of guys is what I would say. Well, the second tier being Albies, Torres, but then after that, the, maybe the third tier of Murphy, Jeanette, Travis Shaw, D. Gordon, Cano, that's kind of where we're going to be you know, I- interested in. I actually combine those two, so yeah, I, I would agree with that. Okay. Yeah, I, ta- I was talking tiers in ADP. Uh, Murphy, I think it's at 79th overall. There's a ton of upside there in either road or head-to-head because I think he could hit 340 in course field. Okay, Heath, uh, the hot corner for Heath Cummings. Oh, that HCHC. It is the hot corner. Yeah. You've got a pair of just absolute studs, top five picks, and Jose Ramirez, Nolan Arenado. But then it gets really interesting because my number one shortstop is a third baseman, Alex Bregman. My favorite value at first base, Matt Carpenter, is a, is a third baseman. My favorite value at second base, Travis Shaw, is a third baseman. The absolute wild card of the position, Vladimir Guerrero, who either is going to be a disappointment in his rookie year or could be a first or second round pick going into 2020, but is available in the fourth, fifth, sometimes even sixth round. And then it gets really interesting late. I, I know Scott likes a Eugenio Suarez quite a bit. I'm a little worried about him falling back. You've got Justin Turner, who's going to be awesome when he's healthy. You've got Max Muncy, who's going to be awesome when the Dodgers let him play. And then you have a couple of young guys kind of being overlooked right now, I think. Matt Chapman who's already back on the field. We had some concerns about his off-season surgeries. And Rafael Devers, who is starting to become everyone's favorite breakout. I think this is a position where you probably draft two, maybe even three of them, because you're going to want to fill other positions with third basemen. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, is this the new first base, where you're drafting two maybe with your first 10 to 12 picks, and one of them is going to be your utility? Like Josh Donaldson could be your your DH, your utility player. Well, it's probably not going to be your utility. It's probably going to be your first, second, or shortstop. Could be, but you could take Arenado in round one. That shouldn't that shouldn't uh, you know take Donaldson in round ten off the board or round nine off the board. You know, right? I'm not quite as excited about Donaldson as you guys are, but sure, if okay. you like Donaldson, yes. Justin Turner, you know, in round ten, whoever you like, right? There. Yes. Right. Okay. And uh, okay, great. Uh, shortstop. Back to Chris Towers. Go ahead, Chris. A, a lot of what Heath said about third base can apply to shortstop. This is a really deep position, especially at the top. I, I'm going through, and I can I think I can count 11, and if you want to put Glaber Torres there, 12 shortstops, that in a given year before this latest crop of shortstops really broke out, you could have looked at as a number one shortstop. You know, you go down to Gene Segura, who has been, uh, you know, a top three shortstop multiple times in the last few years. Corey Seager's 12th overall at the position. It's a really deep position with a ton of young talent and a lot of guys who are really, uh, I'm trying to think Good. of the word, guys who Good. can fill up the box <laughs> score. They, they've got, you've got stolen base guys in Mondesi who, you know, his ADP, depending on where you draft, can be pretty low, especially for the expectations. Corey Seager, there's a chance he's Freddie Freeman, but with shortstop eligibility. And then even once you go down, Elvis Andrews is 18th, Ahmed Rosario is 17th, Jerks and Profar, Paul DeYoung, Angleton Simmons is going to hit 300. It's a really good position, and it's probably a position 
where you'll get your second baseman. You might get your third baseman at shortstop. So it is, I think, right there with third base as far as depth. I think it's unmatched in terms of star power right Wait, now. Where's the sweet spot for you, it, you know, that you feel like is the best area? I guess the equivalent of the uh, Travis Shaw, Scooter Jeanette, um, whoever else was in that group at second base, uh, D. Gordon, Robinson Cano. Like, where's the equivalent of that at shortstop? The whole thing? Like, okay. it really, no matter where you are in the draft, I know that's, like, kind of a cop-out, but... It's a cop-out. There's no, no part of the okay. draft where I look at the shortstops that are going... I, I would say maybe... Maybe where Corey Seager's going, he's 80th. Uh, he was a second or first-round pick the last couple of years, as long as he's healthy, and it seems like he is coming into spring training, coming off, admittedly, an elbow and a hip injury, but if he's right for opening day the upside is huge so that but he's probably he's in a kind of a tier of his own i i love shortstop this year it's really it's a great position all right let's finish up the rest of the position previews we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back after this live nation presents concert week from now through may 14th get 25 dollars tickets to over 5,000 summer shows that's up to 75 percent off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 savage alanis morissette cage the elephant janet jackson megan trainer peso pluma sean paul sum 41 and many more for way less grab your tickets now through may 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. So how about outfield? What are we doing at outfield? Let's ask the guy whose outfield strategy is different from uh, everyone else's. (laughs) Scott White, what do you do at outfield? Well, I'm not trying very hard because I feel like the, what what makes outfield unique is that there are so many outfielders, obviously three times as many outfielders as players in any other hitter spot. And that just the volume of it means there are going to be more opportunities at a breakout pick, whether it's in the late rounds or off the waiver wire after the draft. I feel like that's a position that can be pretty easily filled on the fly. And I feel like the standouts, because they're kind of, lower in number, they tend to go for a premium. So that's not really where I like to uh, to put all my chips at the start of the draft. The value works out great, uh, but I end up filling this position a lot with middle rounds, high ceiling types like David Dahl, Yasiel Puig, 
Victor Robles if it's not a case where he goes in the third round. And then later on, I really like Jesse Winker. I try to get him on every team because I feel like he's kind of a mini Joey Votto. Uh, points or Roto. On-base stud, and I think a good chance of hitting 300 with better power than people give him credit for. Fran Mill Reyes, I like his breakout potential a lot, particularly in a five-outfielder league. We don't necessarily need everybody to be a full-time player. I, I think he'll eventually become that for the Padres, but he may not be from the start. And then if you get talk about really deep leagues, I like just loading up on high upside bats late in the draft, guys like Clint Frazier, Lewis Brinson, who's making a lot of noise this spring, Tyler O'Neill, uh, ones who, talking again, deeper leagues, uh, ones who, you know, they're not all going to pan out, obviously, but if one of them does, there's a good chance you've filled an outfield hole right there. Okay, so let me get let me get another opinion on that because uh, I just want to just give the listeners another option of what to do at outfield. For me, it really makes a big difference how many outfielders you need to roster. But I certainly want, if I can, one, at least one, probably one, great outfielder. Uh, Heath? I mean, like so, such a high percentage of the best hitters in baseball, especially if you're talking top 30 or top 40 hitters, play in the outfield. I don't necessarily want to miss out because I already have one outfielder on the opportunity to have Juan Soto in the third round or the opportunity to get Ronald Acuna even in the second round. So I generally don't wait near as long. I mean, I, I mentioned this, I think, on a podcast a couple of days ago. A lot of times we get to the 11th or 12th round of a draft. I look at my roster. I have four outfielders. Scott has one. And then I find value infielders. He finds value outfielders. I agree with the sentiment from Scott, though, that no matter how many outfielders you're starting, there are enough of them. There are a ton of great outfielders. I just do think those difference makers at the top can make a big difference, especially depending on the format. I think if I need steals in the fifth or sixth round, I'm going for Lorenzo Cain, Starling Marte in the third or fourth in the same situation. So I I have no problem stacking my outfield in the first eight rounds of the draft. Okay, we love the ADP for Eloy Jimenez, 149th overall. Stephen Piscotti, um, Billy Hamilton if he needs steals. These are all guys that are going after pick 140. That's a pretty good range. Um, also, yeah, I pretty much said the guys I wanted to mention. Okay, great. Uh, starting pitcher, right back to Scott White. Go ahead, Scott. Back to me. I get the deep ones, huh? Mm-hmm. So starting pitcher, ideally, I like to get two of about the top 15. I consider Zach Granke an ace, and so that's one that I can always bank on as my second choice because he tends to slip further than the others. Uh, but you really want to get two of that group, I feel like, because beyond that, it, it ends up becoming such a crapshoot. And trying to find a guy who's going to give you the innings and the ratios like an ace does, maybe someone will emerge from that group, but it's it's kind of like finding a needle in a haystack. I, I do, for the rest of my pitching staff, I do like to pick out those starters that I, I feel like have shown that capability in the past of combining the volume with the skills, and so that ends up being guys like Herman Marquez, Chris Archer in the middle rounds, you Darvish coming back from injury, he goes a little later, but we've long regarded him as an ace. I feel like Cole Hamels can come pretty close. Uh, Tyler Glass now, Colin McHugh have that kind of upside. Tyler Skaggs, he kind of was that before a groin injury ruined his numbers late. Uh, Marco Gonzalez really late, I think he's... You know, he's an injury risk, but I think start to start, he's going to be a quality start machine. 
for the Mariners. And if you're not so concerned about ERA, I even like Rick Porcello to deliver the innings and enough volume there that he's going to be a good choice in strikeouts as well. So that's that's kind of how I approach the position. And then, you know, of course, you could find ratio standouts like uh, Nick Pavetta and, uh, uh, you know, hope he takes the next step. But there are a lot of pitcher spots to fill, and I really like to go after those guys who I think have shown the ability to give volume in the past. And Heath, finish up with your relief pitcher strategy. This is so completely dependent upon format, because in Roto Leagues, if you're just mostly worried about saves, this is getting to be a pretty thin position. There are more and more teams, I think we counted it up, maybe only 15, 16 teams right now we feel comfortable with having a closer. There may be 20 or 21 22 by the time we get to opening day half those guys are going to lose their job before we get to the all-star break so if you're in a rotate any sort of categories league i really want to get one of the top six or seven closers i love roberto ozuna at his cost really like brad hand at his cost and then i may even get two of them just because sometimes they fall out of the top 10 i'm looking for someone like a cody allen to be my second reliever in that format and then I want one or two other guys on my bench that will get saves at some point throughout the year. Alex Colomay seems to be one of the cheapest actual closers right now that you can find towards the end of the draft. On the other hand, in a points league, this position gets really deep in a hurry because this is turning into one of the best SPARP years I can remember because we're starting out the year as a great SPARP year and there will probably be a few more that get added. We've got Tyler Glass now who has enormous upside. We've got Kenta Maeda we pretty much know is going to be as good for as long as the Dodgers let him be a starter. Carlos Martinez, still a bit of a wild card, but even past him, you've got Brad Keller, you've got Colin McHugh, and then you've got some really interesting upside guys. Brad Peacock sounds like he's a favorite to be in the rotation. Um, Julio Urias is somebody that might be a starter. Luis Gohara is someone who finally getting over his shoulder. I mean, there are just a ton of SPARP options. I'm not worried about spending too many resources on relief pitcher in a points league. That was really good. That was impressive. The whole thing, guys. Round of applause. Well We're done. Great. Yeah. We're great. Thank you. I thought you were just talking about my relief pitcher. <laughs> well, that was, I think, the no, best that was, one. That was the worst. One. <laughs> I think it was the best one, actually. That was really good. But that was a good. That was a very nice summary. About fifteen minutes of uh, of the last uh, two two to three weeks of our lives. So uh, sounds like we wasted a lot of. Yeah. Right. We could have just could have just done that. But if you want uh, more in-depth analysis, uh, go back and listen to the previews. A lot of it is evergreen content, and I think you'll enjoy it. All right, uh, here's a segment called Entries, News, and Notes slash Oops, I Forgot. Oops, I forgot to mention Luis Severino's replacements in the Yankees rotation because not only is Severino going to begin the DL, uh, begin the year on the injured, that's not even the DL anymore, on the IL, Sabathia will almost certainly begin the year on the injured list. So we've got Luis Sessa and then two other pitchers who are a lot more exciting Chris, Domingo Orman, uh, Jonathan Loizaga, do you think they're worth drafting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it obviously depends. If you're in a 23-round roto draft with no reserve spots, no, they're not worth drafting. But once you get to the reserve rounds, you want as many bites at the apple as possible when it comes to starting pitcher, and you want guys with upside late like that. And Jonathan Loizaga and Domingo Orman both have that. Orman, I think, had an above-average swinging strike rate on all of his pitches last season. Uh, Loisega rates out extremely well by the Aces metric. He throws hard, has good stuff. Um, command and control, maybe. You know, we saw in his spring start yesterday, 
I think he had five strikeouts in three innings, but a couple of walks. That's where things might get a little dicey, but I'd love to see both of these guys get a shot in this rotation. I don't think they have ace upside, but over 140 or so innings, they could be really good. Okay. And let, let's, uh, I'm going to hope that they don't get those innings because, you know, I don't want Severino to be out. <laughs> but, uh, well, I just, yeah, it's it could ra- be, I'd rather get them, get them than Sabathia. Right. It could be, it could be Hap, could or be Pax, Paxton getting hurt. Um, they're, they're interesting arms. Could be. I think there's a chance they go six man rotation also because they've got quite a few injury risks in that uh, rotation. And they could go opener. Almost the entire rotation's an injury risk. Aaron Boone opened the possibility for bullpen days and uh, using the opener yesterday. So, yeah. It was just throwing everything out there. Pretty much. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Uh, Jeremy Jeffress left with a shoulder. Uh, sorry. You, what happened? You dropped your mic, Scott? It, it fell in my lap. Mic drop. so animated talking <laughs> about Aaron Boone that it fell in my Mic drop on the Aaron Boone punchline. Um, Jeremy Jeffress, Brewers reliever, left with a shoulder injury. We don't know, unless we do know. But I don't know anything well, about it. We don't know much, but we know that this was – he had shoulder stiffness before this. And then he left this game with a shoulder injury. I've actually bumped Corey Knable up a couple spots in my reliever rankings. He's back up into the teens now. And Jeffress has fallen quite a bit. I'm I'm a little bit concerned that he's not going to be ready at least for a full workload at the beginning of the year. I think this definitely makes it more likely that Knable's first in line to get saves. And it's not like Jeffress was a sure thing before. Right. Not even just to get saves. I mean just to pitch well. Because, you know, like we saw with Corey Knable last year, who took a big step forward and then couldn't sustain that for a large chunk of the year. Jeffress was much better last year than we had seen him before. Now he might not be the closer, or it looks like he's not going to be the closer given his uh, injury issues in spring. And he has some concerns about performance. So I think you, he's worth drafting as a reserve, but not in one of your nine pitcher spots or seven. I, I think I, I think he hit the nail on the head, though. With I mean, Corey Knebel... He, we were dra- I think he was the fourth reliever off the board last year. A stud closer upside. If there are questions about Jeremy Jeffress's health, I'm not saying Hater Josh Hader won't interfere at all, but we know he's not. He, he's not someone the Brewers would make a standalone closer. Corey Knebel absolutely is, and I think I think this dramatically improves his value. Yeah, and deepens that closer pool by one. Oh yeah, because, this could be uh, big. I, I don't know what else they'd do. He look. He struggled, Knable, but then he came back. September sixteen and a third, five hits, no runs, three walks, thirty three strikeouts in sixteen and a third, and an eighteen percent swinging strike rate. And then in the postseason, he threw ten innings. He I think gave up one run and uh, fourteen strikeouts to three walks and a twenty percent percent swinging strike rate. So it looks like uh, Knable got back on track late in the year, and that would be pretty exciting if he's the closer. Uh, Alex Bregman left with back stiffness. That does seem minor. John Heyman reporting that Houston and Philadelphia have been in contact with Dallas Keuchel. The Rangers. Either way, that's terrible. Yeah, I would not like that. Does it matter for him? For the guys that he would take their place. Yeah, it's not him. Oh, okay, okay. We'd rather see him go somewhere where he's replacing someone that doesn't have upside. Whereas, (laughs) you know, the Phillies might have six starting pitchers who have fantasy upside. The Astros might, might have nine. So, you know, go to a place that that you're not bumping someone out of a rotation spot. I'm not sure I would spend $1 on Dallas Keuchel in our auction tomorrow. Is that insane? I'm going to try to get him for a dollar then. Has he really gotten (laughs) that much worse than when we were considering him a top one? Remember when you loved Dallas Keuchel? Yeah. He was a top 100 pick last year. Has he really gotten that much worse? I'm done with him. Yeah. Uh, I am. I mean. DTM. Yeah. (laughs) I, I do think, I do think, 
I've I've seen him drop to a, a point where I never would have ranked him if if you know he had if he was signed if he was committed to a team. I've seen him drop in draft, and I've had some hesitation to take him. Still, I mean, part of it's just because he hasn't signed, and you know, it, you can't feel confident at this point he's going to be built up to a point where he's ready to go at the start of the year. Also, there's an injury risk. Also, not a big strikeout pitcher. So I kind of get it, but a dollar that's that's a little silly. I just right, know he, he I just 200 innings with a three six nine FIP last season. Okay, not a lot of strikeouts, but he still got to 150. You're not going to get much better than that if he's going 180th overall. I just I'd rather know, have Dallas Keuchel than Rick Porcello. Oh, I, yeah. I just know that there I, are I other pitchers upside. that I, I could get for a dollar that I'd like more. It's not that I think he doesn't he shouldn't be drafted, but uh, I just feel like in an auction. You have a little bit more. Do you have more control? Well, you don't have to. You're, you know, you don't have to worry about this guy's off the board. I, I feel like I could do better with my with my dollar bids. I would guess he's going to probably go for a ten tomorrow. Wow, that's a terrible mm. overpay out of two sixty. That feels like a lot. I'm, I'm going to say three or four. That seems my more, prediction. You want a prediction? Fair. Throw a prediction out there, Chris. Uh, six. Yeah, I'll say three. No, I'll say two. Okay. Uh, Texas signed Jose Leclerc to a four-year, $14.75 million contract extension. Leclerc is their closer. Justin Upton dealing with, I think, knee tendonitis. He's expected to make his spring training debut soon. Gregory Polanco was mentioned in our outfield preview. He's throwing at 120 feet. I don't know what that means for his timetable, but it is is certainly accelerated from what we thought when he had shoulder surgery originally. And you might see Polanco sooner rather than later. And he had a pretty good year. Yeah. Were you going to say something? Do you, have you ever thrown anything 120 feet in your life? Uh, yeah. Are we counting probably. a roll? <laughs> How would I know? In the air. I mean, look, if you make a throw yes. from third yes. base Jeez. to first, that's yes. like 110 feet, right? Come okay. on. Yes. yes. That's easy. That's I could, easy. I could do that. Um, well, on a major league field, none of us have played baseball on a major league field. <laughs> no, but it is worth knowing Gregory Polanco um, – He's been able to hit. He's started doing sliding drills, and the the Pirates head of their medical program did say there's a chance that we could see him in spring training. Okay, Kyle Wright and Jesus Lazardo. I'm just picking stuff from Scott's uh, column. And you know what? Why don't we just extend this, do like a little impromptu segment. We're going to do fantasy regulators and read some emails to finish the show. But for the next five to ten minutes or so um, – Tell me some guys who are elevating their stock, and we might do this just about every day. We've already talked about Lewis Brinson. We talked about the Rockies' second base job. We talked about the Mets' first base job yesterday. But, Scott, you mentioned Atlanta starting pitcher Kyle Wright, Oakland starting pitcher Jesus Lazardo. You also mentioned Jordan Hicks, who's looking great, could be the Cardinals' closer, and and a note on Chris Archer. But how about we, we do sort of a big... Late round pitchers who are moving into the conversation and piggyback from maybe some of those sparps that that Heath mentioned. Um, who who are winning spring training battles and becoming more draft relevant? Uh, Scott, why don't you kick it off? Well, I don't mind starting with Kyle Wright, who was I think the fifth overall pick in the 2017 draft. Obviously, a lot of upside. Kind of underwhelmed in the minors last year, but picked it up late. And he has been of the of the. Of the players in contention for Braves rotation spots, those young prospects, um, you know, and there seem to be more openings now because they've been hit hard by injuries. Kyle Wright has performed the best so far this spring, and he's RP eligible. 
so I think he he's somebody who, with another good start, we might talk about maybe targeting him late in mixed leagues. Uh, Corbin Burns of the Brewers, I think, has uh, really pushed himself into that conversation with Brandon Woodruff for the final Brewer spot. Both of them are RP eligible. So that would be interesting. Um, uh, let me think here. Julio you guys Arias. got any names? Julio Arias, Arias? was, was yeah. clocked at 98 miles an hour in a recent start, was sitting like 96. Um, that's what he's been able to throw in relief in the majors, but when he was starting uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was more like 93, 94. Um, still only 22, 19 years old when he made his debut. One of the better pitching prospects of the last five years. Just has dealt with a ton of injuries um, since then, but the fact that he's throwing this hard coming back from you know the the shoulder injuries that he's had over the last couple of years is a very good sign, especially with Clayton Kershaw probably not being ready for opening day. Arias could have a spot in the rotation. It actually seems likely uh, at this point. And you mentioned well, Jesus, you mentioned Jesus there, Lazardo. It's not just that he's been kind of good. He's gone five and two-thirds innings. He hasn't given up a run, and he just struck out ten batters. He's been absolutely dominant. I, I don't think he'll be up the beginning of April, but I expect he's going to be in the rotation by the end of April. Um, Chris's boy, Sandy Alcantara, has been pretty good for the Marlins and looks like he might earn a rotation spot. And then I think Kyle Wright might be in trouble because Tuki Tassant might be the guy that wins that job. He had a terrible start in his second start. Much better yesterday. I didn't give up a run in three innings. There's probably room for both, though. Or there may be. Because well, yeah, Gosman's dealing with an injury. Fulty's dealing with an injury. Yeah. But does that mean yeah. that, that they're all on borrowed time and not worth drafting? Like, who could stick? All but one of them but is. You, you, never know, you never know where the next opening's going to come. We're all on borrowed time, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> but especially, that... especially starting pitchers who... Oh, of course. Like... Life finds a way when it comes to starting pitchers. You know, Walker Buehler last year, we spent the entire season, well, this might be his last start, and then he ended up, you know, basically pitching the entire season. It, things tend to work out when you're talking about finding a rotation spot. One pitcher who just got on my radar yesterday talking about us not wanting Dallas Keuchel to sign with the Astros is Brad Peacock, who yep. uh, one Astros beat writer on Twitter referred to yesterday as now the favorite for the fifth starter job over Bromber Valdez, who I like a lot too. But Brad Peacock, heading into last year before it became clear he was moving into the bullpen, he I, I liked him, if not in my top 30 starting pitchers, certainly in my top 40. He had a great year in 2017 as a starting pitcher with a high strikeout rate, really good slider. So we already know the stuff plays up over an extended number of innings. Obviously, he would be relief pitcher eligible too. Peacock, definitely somebody who needs to be targeted late in drafts, certainly points leagues right now. See, I'd rather have Brad Peacock than Dallas Keuchel. And I understand if I were doing rankings, if I were a fantasy sure. analyst and I were doing rankings, that I I might have to put Keuchel ahead of Peacock. But I'd, I just feel like Peacock has a chance to help you win your league more so than Dallas Keuchel, and I'd, I'd rather take a shot on upside. Yeah, I don't know that Peacock... I, I like Peacock, and I am excited to draft him at the end of the draft. He does not have enormous upside just because he's probably not going to average much more than five innings per start on a team that has their type of approach and his type of history. In 2017, Peacock went 10-2 and as a starter with a 3.22 ERA, 46 walks, and 135 strikeouts in 111 and two-thirds. Holy cow. Yeah. 
Uh, so innings will be an issue for him, even if he is starting all season. Though he, yeah, I, I just I think he, you said he issue. went more than six and a third twice. He went more than six. I think he made twenty seventeen to twenty one starts, mm-hmm. right in that range. And he averaged five point two innings per start. He went more than six and a third once. All right, so it really depends on if quality starts matter. Uh, I mean, he know. went six nine times. So that's what nine out of how many times. starts. Okay, let's uh, let's move Nine. on. Jordan Hicks is looking good, and that could mean that he's the closer for the Cardinals. And Scott showed us uh, that slider, if you read the column, that Hicks is uh, dominating with in the spring. And he's actually going after Andrew Miller. They're going back-to-back in the 200s. But Hicks has a chance to this perform is my, like a top 100 player. This is one of my favorite stats from the spring, is Jordan Hicks has recorded six outs. He's recorded seven strikeouts. <laughs> this is a guy who underwhelmed last year with this 8.1 strikeouts per nine. I think even though he is now the hardest thrower in baseball, he averaged about 102 on his fastball average last year. So, yeah, if that slider is coming along as well as the reports seem to indicate it is, he has the potential to be a dominant closer. And even though Andrew Miller is there and they're saying, oh, yeah, matchups, um, the kind of the Kind of the sense I'm getting from a lot of the quotes there is they really want Hicks to be the guy and Andrew Miller to be kept more flexible like he was in Cleveland. So yeah, he's somebody who I'm targeting as my second reliever a lot, Hicks. Watching that game on, I think, Tuesday for the Cardinals, Jack Flaherty started, looked like he was throwing a cutter, which was really interesting. It was like a 92, 93 mile an hour fastball. It, it, it looked like a cutter. I don't know if it was. I think that's his two-seamer. They, they um, really like his two-seamer. I think that's what it is. But either way, he looked great. Nine strikeouts in three innings or four innings, something like that. Then Alex Reyes came in. And then Jordan Hicks comes in in like the fifth inning and is just pumping 103 miles an hour in the first week of March. It's <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. Like 103 regularly. Yeah, it's, yeah, I got to get some Jordan it's silly. Hicks. I'd rather have Hicks than Dallas Keuchel just to continue the trend. Um, oh, Hicks will get more saves for sure. <laughs> and more money in, in the auction. Ten bucks for Dallas Keigel, Heath. How did you win this league last year? This is a terrible I've won ball. it two out of four years. Uh, I didn't say he's going to Are you going to compete this year? I'm going to try to compete. Chris, Chris was the only person you beat last year. <laughs> That's That can't be true. I did not finish in second to last. Um, and Chris Archer is going to expand his arsenal. Uh, try to throw uh, maybe a curveball in there. That would be nice. And pitch exclusively out of the stretch. More reasons why we like Chris Archer at his draft value. We had a tweet of That's the day. That's what he said he did in September when the numbers were good. Sorry, I keep interrupting. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm a jerk. Tired to talk about Sorry Chris about Archer. Sorry about that. Our tweet of the day uh, was a follow-up from an email from yesterday. It's from John. He said, I sent in the question on Fantasy Baseball today regarding players to reach for, and my greeting was, Dear you, Max, Armando, and Yuzmero. You, Max, Armando, and Yosmero. We couldn't figure out I figured out that one were. out, by the way. You figured it out because you saw it in the tweet of the day? Yeah, he he did not yeah. figure that out. <laughs> Scott, do you know who you, Max, Armando, and Yosmero are? What do those pitchers have in common? I don't, know. They are all pitchers know. who had their perfect game spoiled by the 27th batter. Well... In Armando, I can't remember his last name, but that was the that was the the that umpire. Was the, the, right. Galarraga. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, there you go. I was that, trying to remember. Yeah, he had the umpire spoil it. So yes, that, that Jim is Joyce. True. Poor Jim Joyce. That's that's one of my favorite baseball stories ever. The the perfect game that wasn't. Everybody I, handled I thought, it well. I thought it made Armando Galarraga more memorable than if he had actually thrown a perfect game, but apparently you're, not. No, you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> 
Because because if he had actually thrown the perfect game, Chris wouldn't have remembered his last name. That wouldn't have changed anything. And Chris, you have been regulated. Now, here we go. If you're new to the show, fantasy regulators. It was a segue, Chris. <laughs> now you're being regulated. Um, fantasy regulators, you sent us an email, fantasybaseball@cbsi.com. You put fantasy regulators in the subject line. You tell us your league issue, and we regulate, and I do this. Uh, okay. Here we go. Here's the first question. It is from Deuce from Pittsburgh. Dear Mark, Brad, and Randy, am I being a dingus? Finding mock drafts with people serious about completing them is tough. Usually everyone has left the mock by the fifth round, and I don't really blame them seeing as I assume some people have lives. So to counter this, I sign up for free leagues that are drafting imminently, get a full draft in, and then ghost them when the season starts. Is this a lame move by me, messing with other people's leagues, or do you think that everyone that joins these, quote, last-minute leagues is doing the same thing as I am? I don't think everyone is doing it. <laughs> um, it is a lame move. Yeah, it's pretty dingus-like. Um, but you, you kind of do this sometimes. Oh, Chris does it all the time. Chris is the dingus of fantasy baseball. <laughs> I have decided to take on fewer leagues this year. Good, good move. Good. A lot. <laughs> it is. It is a lot. Fantasy baseball season is a long time. Um, like, yeah, you're, there's nothing on the line here. It's it's all for fun. If this is the only way that you can find to do mock drafts, no, maybe send no, Scott a tweet this is terrible. See if Scott will let you in with our mock drafts. This is terrible. No, you this, can't do this. this is wrong. Yes. This is, this is some people's only experience with fantasy baseball, and you are responsible for ruining it, which may turn them off. He may be altogether. responsible for all of their wins. <laughs> yeah, but that's... What do you Okay, this is a no. If, if you're winning against nothing, you can't do this. That you have been officially regulated. Like, Next up. It doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile, winning's winning. Ben. What is that? A no fear t-shirt? Ben says, about a week and a half ago, I emailed That's my so league. Furious, come on. Oh, I'd never seen it. I emailed my league that baseball's coming up quick and please respond if you're in for fantasy baseball this year. Fast forward to now and uh, two teams have yet to respond. So it's fair to assume they're not interested. I find replacements, and of course, this afternoon, one of them emails me saying that he's in. It's a keeper league, so his team is now taken, and the league is full. What should I do? Keep in mind, this person is normally very inactive throughout the season and usually finishes toward the bottom, but I feel bad because he's been in the league since the beginning. So he was Ben, a little, this is a very, very easy answer. You just do the same thing he did. Don't respond to his email. <laughs> and okay. just move on. How close are you guys? Like, Is this like a... This is like a friend. Is it like a cousin? A not a friend anymore. Like that's a good like because if you if you're not so close that you could have followed up with the text when he didn't respond to your initial email, then you know you're probably I do think not like one email before you kick someone out of the league is yeah. like a courtesy. You know, let's get He's one more. But let's get one more that. out there. But we're it's already happening now. It's over. Yeah, right. Just don't oh, respond. Yeah, no, you can't. You just gotta ghost him. <laughs> just that person's <laughs> out of you. That person's dead to you now. You're never gonna talk to this guy again. All right, let's, last, uh, sorry. Last, last, <laughs> last regulators is from Bobby. In a keeper league where a player is kept in the round they were drafted the year before and waiver ads can be kept as last-round picks, um, mid-season last year, someone dropped a player who was drafted in the second round due to injury. That player was picked up to stash in one of the DL spots for the rest of the year. Should this player, formerly a, formerly a second-round pick, be kept as a second-round pick? Or since they were dropped and added, should they be kept as a last-round pick, as is what happens last round. with waiver? A, a waiver's pick. 
Last yeah. round? They, they I, were. I will add one caveat that if you have a system where you can only keep a player for one year and they get hurt after having been kept and then someone picks them up, they should not be eligible to be kept. Because in that instance, you're forcing someone to keep a player that they literally cannot value and someone else is going to benefit from that. So that's the one caveat I would say. But if he's eligible to be kept, he's eligible to be kept. Okay. So waivers. So last round pick. That's interesting. Yeah. Or or whatever whatever keeper value a waiver wire claim defaults to. Yeah. yeah Especially if listen, you don't have a previous rule about this. You need that you need a rule about it. That's the thing, Bobby. But since you don't have one, we're gonna say last round pick. Uh, we have that's, about. Two... That's one of the benefits to having waiver priorities. You get to do things like this. There you go. All right, guys, we have about two minutes left, so we're gonna read uh, as many emails as we can in those two minutes. So I'm going to give Chris the first one, then Scott, then Heath. Alex from the Great White North uh, is in a multi-sport fantasy league: football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. Awesome. So here's the trade. What do you think? He would give up Verlander, Carrasco, and Edwin Diaz. Verlander, Carrasco, and Edwin Diaz. That's a lot. To get back Keenan Allen and picks set in seventh, eighth, and ninth round picks in the baseball Technically draft. Technically first four picks. Yeah. Be, uh, Keepers first, take the first through six. So first three picks. So he's giving up Verlander, Carrasco, yeah. and Diaz. He's getting Keenan Allen and his seventh, eighth, and ninth round pick. Is a terrible It trade. doesn't seem terrible. like great value. No. Um, he does say he was planning on tanking, but I would want a, a better... Uh, keeper pick than Keenan Allen. Maybe go get a, you know, a, a DeAndre Ayton or uh, some young guy in hockey from the Czech Republic. Maybe <laughs> okay. um, I'm sure there's someone good out there. Yeah, it's a bad trade. Uh, this is for Heath from Wes in Normal, <laughs> Illinois. Uh, I disagree with Heath's RP. Oh, I think the subject line was Heath is wrong. I disagree with Heath's RP-heavy philosophy and winning three of five pitching categories. I tried this a couple years ago. The innings pitch is so low that anytime your relief pitcher or a couple starters have a bad outing, your ERA and whip spike, and you don't get those categories. Instead, why not draft all starting pitchers and one to two relievers? You're winning strikeouts and wins almost always, and you're in the mix for ERA and whip. That's what everyone's doing. That's not a new strategy. Well, also, you probably won't be in the mix for ERA and whip because you're going to have to Draft Are you crappy starters? It, Are you? it is true that in head-to-head categories leagues, there will be a week or two or maybe even three throughout the season where this happens to you. I do disagree with a couple of starters have a bad outing because generally when I go with this formula, I don't have a couple of starters each week. I might have one. I think maybe there were a couple times Chris and I started two or three because we realized we didn't need that many saves last year. But, th- yes, this will happen. This is not a foolproof win three categories every single week. You will win three categories a majority of weeks. I think the bigger issue is that it's just relievers are really volatile from year to year. So it's hard to know. You might be chasing a reliever that you think is good who just isn't. Yeah, you know, plus you, you, have you to... could have invested a lot in Corey Knable last yeah. year, and this strategy blew up in your face. The point is you get to wait and draft a lot of hitters and then take relievers early later because they go after starters. I know we yeah. said that, but I, I want to reiterate that. All right, I'm sorry, Scott. I'm sorry to all of our listeners. We have to go. Uh, we are out of time. And remember, we're on video, so check it out on YouTube or on CBSSports.com. And we'll be back tomorrow with an auction. Woo! Get excited. See you later.